Holt Perez. Fantastic! What a way to claim your hat trick. Perez picking out. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith, but Thomas charging through the midfield, Thomas, it's up for grabs now! Hey everyone, welcome to the You Are My Arsenal podcast. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Jessinho. We're recording this right off of the, the heels of the Europa League tie that we just played against Olympiacos and we got our three away goals. I remember talking about this right before the game that I thought three goals is what we needed to pretty much put this tie away and I'm ecstatic. I really don't care how it happened. I don't you know, I don't care about the circumstances as long as we got it done. And that's what we did, which is something that we couldn't have said last season. You know, we really didn't put the tie away last season away from home. This time we did. To me, that's progress. The only thing I have a little bit of reservations about is the individual errors that continue to creep into our game. Um, We could kind of see it from the very beginning that when it came to playing out of the back, it just felt like there wasn't a lot of confidence. And with Odegaard kind of passing the ball back into a strange area, you know, David Louise having his his scary moment and then ultimately the goal um, that I think Leno and Ceballos could both share the blame for, we need to kind of have a conversation about whether or not these players are good enough to play the way that Arteta wants to play. I think Arteta wants to play football the right way. And I understand what he's trying to accomplish with this system. But the more I see Leno and some of the midfielders struggle playing this way, I really question whether we have more players in the team at this point that need to go in comparison to the amount of players that we should probably be keeping. And that really kind of opens up the question about how many players can actually play this way. Are we looking, I mean, somebody like Leno is not somebody I would really think about as like maybe somebody that can't play this way. But the more I'm watching him play out of the back, I'm like, can he do it? So there's a lot of questions to be answered, but ultimately I'm happy about the win and I'm going to let, um, I'm going to go ahead and let in, not let in, what am I trying to say? Add in my battle. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna come in. Do you need more coffee? <laughs> no, I don't need more coffee. <laughs> I do. This can be all changed in post. This can all be fixed on post. So I'm not. Uh, just leave it. No one's infallible. We all make mistakes, and people like to laugh us anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, hello, Drew. 
Hello. <laughs> hey, Luke. Hello. Well, now that I'm done embarrassing myself, you guys take it away. Take it away. I don't know what's to take away, but I, I know just before uh, you know we started recording, we were we were kind of talking about Odegaard, and I know that he scored. Uh, he scored his first goal in our circuit, so I guess we could maybe kick on with him. I guess for the first thing, I kind of wanted to. I feel like it's going to be everyone's pleased that he scored. I'm pleased that he scored. You know, you could you could in in my rational brain and how how I operate. I my first reaction was, well, keeper should have saved it, but in the day, I don't really care. Um, it's good for his confidence. You know, he's already enjoying life at the club. So getting a, a key goal for us in, in a competition we're trying to go out and win, um, putting us on the right foot. Yeah, I, I'm happy that he scored. Um, it's something that I want to see more from him as well. You know, during his time uh, at Herenveen and um, and with Sociedad, he he was a threat from outside the box, right? And that's not something that you could say that we have a lot of over the last couple of years, you know, a lot of intricate play trying to get to the, into the 18 yard box, you know, combination uh, runs off the ball. So having a player who is confident enough to, to shoot from outside the area when he has space is important. And, um, you know, El Nini's done it twice in Europe this season. He scored one against Dundalk in the group stage from about 25 yards out. And now he did it here again, in very similar position. So it's nice to see those types of goals a little bit more regularly. It gives you another dynamic. It gives the defense another headache to maybe worry about. If they all have to worry about the sitting back deep and worrying about making sure you can't combine on top of their box. But if you then have a player who's willing, if you give them space to shoot, it really is another way to, to try to get a team out of their shape, right? So I'm, I'm happy he scored. I'm happy he had the wherewithal to look up and, and see the space and, and, and take the shot. Um, but I think a lot of people might also say that this may have been his his worst outing in an Arsenal kit. It's not, and that's not to say that he played poorly. I don't think he was bad. Um, he did create a couple of chances today. I think like three or four key passes. Um, I think he had the most dribbles of any Arsenal player today. So it's not that he was he was bad, but I feel like maybe he was just slightly off, and maybe his um, I think his energies wasn't where we've seen him before, uh, for whatever reason that might be. Um, but overall, I think you can see now why I think we would prefer to keep him moving into next season, why it seems like he's happy to be here as well. But um, what about you? What, what for you? What do you think? How do you rate how he was today? Do you think – is he starting to show you that we need to, that we need him at the club or his kind of play, or how do you rate what he's done so far? And I guess including time as well. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I thought we saw a different Odegaard today, to be honest. I think um, when he missed the chance early on, he got a bit uh, flustered. Is probably the best word to describe it. I thought where you usually see like a really kind of calm, patient, uh, cultured player, I think um, he started kind of like snatching at things and he's probably taking shots from where he shouldn't be taking shots. I mean, like you say, that it's, it's, he scored an absolute screamer and... Um, and I think, like you know, most people could admit that the keeper should have saved it, but it's a it's an unbelievable strike. But I think um, maybe that kind of encouraged him for the rest of the game. I think there were, there were points where maybe a better pass was on, and he was constantly just trying to kind of cut in on the left foot and get the shot away, which isn't always a um, a bad thing. But I think uh, I mean, I think I said it on a previous podcast. I, I still think that right now his position in our system is just probably um, a bit too high to get the ideal out of him. I don't think that's necessarily a problem if it, if it works for the team, but I still think that I'd rather see him kind of getting the ball 
close to the halfway line and driving forward and and you know things of that nature but um uh, today probably i think what we said before we started recording i'd, I'd agree it's probably his worst performance in an arsenal shirt but i don't want to sound negative because um uh, because he still did the business and i still think uh, there's a massive massive upside when it comes to odegaard and i think that um uh, he in the system does kind of empower Aubameyang. i think that um, as the games are going on, we're seemingly kind of like creating more kind of good spaces that I think Aubameyang could like possibly uh, possibly prosper from in future games. Um, so I've got like a like a lot of time for Odegaard, and he's still a player that, in my opinion, I'd love for us to to kind of retain next season and into the future if the deal. I mean, like there's kind of like the rumours that uh, Madrid are pretty cash strapped. So if the makings for a deal are there, then I'd definitely be an advocate for keeping him. To be honest. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Uh, you know, with Odegaard, it's just we knew when we got him, it was going to be a little bit of a risk just because it's the middle of the season. He hasn't played a lot of football and most of his senior football has been played in a completely different league. You know, so like Luke said, I have a lot of time for him because I think he is the t- a type of player that we need to have in the squad. Today, he was not great, but if we go back and watch some of the buildup, especially earlier in the game before things kind of went flat, some of the things that him and Sokka and Thomas party and even Bellerin to a certain extent was some really nice buildup. And I think what we're seeing is Arteta is really trying to layer in the, a type of buildup play that's going to be really beneficial to us. If we can finish the moves off, you know, we're getting into good positions, but we're just not able to get the final ball or, you know, the final shot. So I think having somebody of his quality is really important. So I'm not discouraged by his performance at all. I think this is to be expected based on the circumstances senses that I, um, I listed before, but I really like the player and um, yeah, hopefully we can, we can keep him moving forward. I would really like to see him, you know, grow into this team. I agree with you both. And I feel like some of the data about, um, like his contributions today and then overall it, t- it seems like he really does fit and, and I think this I mean we're, I know we're gonna get onto the mistakes Jess so I'll, I'll kick it back to you in a second but I kind of feel like if you look at the data just like kind of like the base data from the match today you see it was a completely dominant performance and the only reason why Olympiacos got a goal is because we shot ourselves in the foot and I think that warning sign was there you know there was four separate occasions where we were irresponsible in possession and our defensive third of the pitch. And, and, and one of those came back to bite us and we're lucky others didn't come back to bite us again because Olympiacos probably could have scored a second or a third, depending on um, which chance you want to subscribe to. So, um, but I think if you look at the numbers, it, this is a performance that's, that's much more akin to something you would have seen maybe um maybe from like a city, you know, I think we had three times the chances Olympiacos had. We had 60% of the ball. Our pass success rate was 90%. Um, just in, in, in all phases of play. And then certainly when we were on the ball overall, I thought the combination play worked well. I thought Bear was quite good down the right-hand side today. I thought a lot of good things went through him and Saka. As we discussed before, him and Saka played quite well together. So, uh, you know, using... Um, just kind of that as a this match as a, as a as a benchmark. I think if you take away the mistakes that we had, which hopefully comes in time as players get even more comfortable with the system and moving forward and decision making gets better, um, 
across the board. I think this is kind of what I think Arteta is going for. Obviously, this wasn't the perfect example of it, but I think this is kind of, I guess you can call it the raw example of it, where overall, this is kind of where you're, what we're probably going to be seeing. It's this is where he wants to be um, in an ideal world. Just obviously, you cut out the mistakes. And um, as you said, more clinical, because I, I think we could have scored more than three. And, and certainly, I think we could have scored goals that had a higher percentage chance um, if you look at it from an XG standpoint, then the goals that we did score. But um, yeah, I think overall, I, I was kind of impressed with how we played, at least with the ball. You know, concerns notwithstanding, but I know we're going to come on to that. So, yeah. So just you know, for me, I found myself really thinking about, you know, is this so with the individual mistakes, which I think is kind of where we're going, and probably where we'd like to get through quickly because it's not nice to talk about. But with the individual mistakes that are coming, I keep going back to, is this the players or is it Arteta? And what I came to kind of the conclusion that I came to is, of course, it's their mistakes because they have to think on the field and make decisions, make better decisions while they're in game. But I'm finding it hard to kind of separate Arteta from this because he chooses the personnel and he chooses the tactics and he's really leaning into this, this system and these tactics. So I think this just all kind of goes back to the fact that we have a handful of players that just are not, you know, I know Drew is saying that, you know, as time goes on, they'll get better at it. They'll make better decisions. But I kind of think that some of these players are just not good enough to play this way. And that's the only really difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying, you know, and that may be harsh, but I'm looking at certain players and I'm like, even if you're rested, even if you're concentrating, even if we're up in the game, you're still making these mistakes. And it's the same players kind of over and over. And it's, I think it's because they're just not capable, you know, consistently of playing this way where we're on the ball a lot. We're making like, everything has to be perfect. You know, the way that we're playing, there's no room for error. And with players that aren't of a certain level, you know, it just seems like there's more of a chance that things can go wrong. So I'm looking at Leno, I'm looking at Jocko, I'm looking at Sabios, and I'm like, are you guys going to be able to cut it? Because maybe 70% of the time they're good, maybe even 80, but the 20% of the time that they're not on job and they make these mistakes, it's really costly for us. You know, so I don't know. I mean, that's not really a question or anything. It's just kind of how I'm feeling about the system because I like it. I like the way that we're playing. You know, we're playing big boy football, you know, but there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of reward. And the only way to minimize risk is to be damn near perfect. And these players are not close to that. So. Yeah, I think it's um, it's, it's a case of, when when you're playing into pre- like kind of pressure zones um, uh, and you're trying to kind of break the press, then it it comes with the territory that you're gonna have to give it to a player that's maybe not in an ideal position, and and you know the you're gonna have to create some angles to try and play it out. But I think that there's a difference between that and what we saw today, where Leno is giving it to a player that's got four players running at him from four different angles, and I just like. If if Ceballos gets out of that situation and we keep the ball, then yeah, four players are not like an hour out the game and we've got a good counter on. But if he gets like if he doesn't lose the ball there, then in my opinion, he's done so well. It's too much to ask of someone. I, I think there's got to be 
Um, uh, risk, risky football is fine because we play out a lot and for the most part we do it well and we create good chances from it. But at the same time, it, we've just seen in this one game today um, uh, the downside of it. Um, uh, Louis's mistake, he, he makes a pass he doesn't need to make. Um, just running the ball into your own box in itself, to me, just, just seems strange. It, sometimes these players do strange things. Um, uh, they could have easily scored from that. That changes the game, potentially. Um, uh, and then eventually they did get the goal from us that, again, was gifted to them. And I think like the, the worst thing was after they scored that goal, I wasn't sure how the team would respond. Like, I kind of lost a lot of hope in it. Um, and to be fair, I thought that way after we conceded the goal against Benfica and we came back from it, which is great. Um, it's good to see that we started coming back from from these mistakes because I think that was something that was missing from my game last time. Uh, but it just feels like these kind of mistakes, I'm not just talking about when we put out from the back and losing the ball. It just feels like recently over the last kind of month, month and a half, just feels like every game is like the next mistake, the next mistake. It's like the Wolves game with like two minutes into added time and at the end of the first half, and we've got a goal kick and somehow they get a penalty from it. It's like there shouldn't, like game management means you, that shouldn't happen. Um, I remember Cedric giving the ball away early that led to the Villa goal. Um, uh, we could talk about the, the Sabios one against Benfica that we kind of mentioned. Um, uh, the, the goal that Xhaka gave away against Burnley, like just it just feels like these are like, unbelievable errors that I mean like not every error you'll pay for like we saw today with Louise but at the same time when you're giving away in those areas enough of them are going to bite you in the ass that you know we need, need to sort it out I think it's it's almost a bit of a catch-22 in the sense that you can kind of attribute it slightly down to like the kind of Leeds Bielsa uh, theory where um, uh, people tell Leeds they have to adapt to certain games and they don't and kind of the trade-off to that is they're so well drilled in their football that they're undoubtedly punching above their weight right now. And they'll get turned over here and there. They got turned over by us. They got turned over by United. Um, every now and then they'll get turned over. But in most games, they're playing well above the players they have on paper. And, and that's part of the reason why they're sitting now safe in mid-table. They haven't been in a relegation battle all season. They probably won't be in a relegation battle this season. Um, so it's kind of the same as that for us is that if we give away the odd goal, then it comes to the territory because it's risky football. But at the moment, when when it's not just occasionally mistakes happening and it is every game, something probably does have to be sorted out. And, you know, you just kind of go into the next game against Spurs. Now you're kind of thinking, is that going to be the next mistake? Because, you know, if you give away one of those to, to Kane or Son or Bale, who's in form, then, you know, we're in trouble. Mm. Uh, see, for me, it's, it's if I look at it in isolation, I look at say today, for example. So Olympiakos is goal and 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 Leno's role and and, and Sabayas's role. And for me, there's a lot of people on on Twitter because I tweeted a, a couple things about it, and there's a lot of people who responded and they were saying that you know Sabayas had the last touch, so it's on him. And I, I, I staunchly disagree with that. And for me. If you look at how situations develop on the pitch, Sabayos isn't, isn't put into that position if Leno just has better judgment. If he makes a different decision, that goal probably doesn't happen. Um, and for me, people like to say, you know, Arteta wants to build a system. He wants to play out of the back. So Leno is just doing his job. Yes, but there is also, there is room for players to make different decisions in the scope of what you want to do overall if it means you're being more responsible with possession and no coach is going to be angry about that. You know, again, as someone who I, I 
as someone who does a, quite a lot of coaching, I'm never going to be mad at a player if they make a better decision in the split second moment where they assess situation and say, I know I'm supposed to tie out of the back and keep the ball, but it's trying to force possession more important than not giving up a goal. So that's the decision that I want to see. And that's the decision. So for me, if you look at it and, and, and this goes back to what you were saying, just about our players like Jaka or, or Ceballos or Leno or Luis good enough to play out of the back. I think they are, but I think what they also have to do. And I think players sometimes are afraid to take responsibility. They always just want to make the safe pass that's safe for them, but they're not considering the other player that's involved. So today we saw when, when Leno played to Ceballos, you could also maybe make the argument, same thing when he played to Jaka um, for that folly of a goal. Same thing is he made the, the pass that was safest for him to make without understanding that is this the safest position to put my other player into? And then you could say, yes, as professional footballers, maybe Jaka and Tobias need to make a better decision on their, on their own right. That might be true, but they shouldn't be forced into the position to make that decision. So that's for me, what that's a place I have to understand. And if you're looking at Leno in isolation, and I don't want to get too much on him, obviously, because there's a lot that you can like about him as a cube. There's also a lot that I question. And I think this goes back to any of us that have seen him during the, the entire day of his time at Leverkusen would tell you that it, his him being such a brilliant shot stopper it buys him a lot of grace because while he's good with his feet he's poor with his decision making and he's poor with with controlling the defensive third and, and marshalling a defense that is, is a problem and then we have when you have a keeper who struggles in those areas is he he might struggle with playing out of the back he can be good with his, good with his feet he can be with good with distribution that's fine but that's only part of playing out of the back the other part is you have to be able to make the right decision at the right time understanding where your players are, knowing what your options are, and and knowing what am I going to do if I get the ball back or what am I going to do three steps ahead, what player am I going to play to? That's that's key. And for me, that's why Ederson was so big for um, for City when he come in, when he came in. And it really kind of elevated how they could play out of the back. And we had a question about that, didn't we? I can't remember. Yeah, Mark Will asked um, yeah. if he was up to Arteta's style of play, Leno. So I think certain aspects of his game – is up to what Arteta wants. I think he, his distribution can be um, up to, to, to where Arteta wants, but I think his, his, some of the mental aspects of it are different. I think this is, and I think a lot of people articulated it poorly, but I think this is why a lot of people actually preferred uh, Martinez. I and mean, I'm not trying to get into the Martinez responding debate, but there is something to be said about the fact that Martinez was probably in the same ballpark of a shot stopper as Leno, but he was a smarter goalkeeper. He, he was better in the box and knowing how to marshal his defense and he made better decisions when we had to play out of the back. So it's not just about how well you, how well you play the ball to, to the player. It's about knowing which player to play to. That's a, that's a very, very vital aspect of playing out of the back. And then by extension, also when you look at the outfield players, they have to know where on the pitch and what zones to go to, to give the keeper or the center back or the left or right wing back, whoever it is, they're trying to play out of through where their options are. So that's playing on the back is a, is a very intricate team effort. And this is why you have to drill this at length. Some, it takes months sometimes, if not seasons, to, to get it spot on. It, it took City multiple years under Pep for them to, to get to where they are now in terms of how well they play out of the back. So it, it just takes time, right? So it's not going to be perfect yet, but I'm with Luca. I think – and you as well, Jess, when you want to play, as you say, when you want to play big boy football, 
there's a lot of big boy risk, but there's also a lot of big boy reward. And again, you kind of see it today when we're so dominant with the ball, that's the reward. But the, the risk is because we're not perfect with it yet, the risk is we're going to give possession away in key moments that, that are poor because we're, we're just not perfect yet. And, we're, and it, it might take a while, whether that's going to be players getting more used to it or if it's going to be because of we, we need to buy more players and then that comes to another question we can get onto later on. But yeah, we're just not there yet. And, and you can kind of see it with, um, a side like Southampton, people keep having a go at Hasenhutl because he's been on the end of three or four heavy defeats since he's come in. But the reason why is because he he doesn't escape his principles. He knows how he wants to play, and he's not afraid to try to have a go at big sides. And the risk is, if it doesn't work, you give up six or seven goals because you're playing open against a very good side. So if if you're not responsible you're going to get you're going to get smashed and that's that's what happens but the reward is you can upset teams if you're not afraid to stick to your principles and you take the match to them the, the reward is we just got three points when no one expected us to the, the risk is i'm going to lose seven or eight no which has happened to them so it's it's it's, it's not too different from that you know that's how our, that's why our is such a stickler for it i feel like and if we want to persist moving forward and being this type of team this is kind of some of the speed bumps we have to deal with at the moment, but you do also have to say that you need some players to, to, to make better choices moving forward. And if it proves that they continue to not make better choices moving forward, then you do maybe have to say, you might have to look into getting one or two players in that can. Can I just say that we, we made, we had a really good conversation in the Yama chat, like probably this morning about the individual errors. And to me, while we're learning how to perfect this way of playing, because like it or not, you guys, like Arteta is very like convinced that this is the way we're going to play. And as somebody that really likes playing out of the back and appreciates what it brings to the team, I want him to continue with it. And ultimately, what is this time is just it's just about figuring out who can do it, who can't do it, and just making sure that we keep practicing it. But as we make these individual errors, it's important for the team to recover from these errors. I guarantee tomorrow, after everybody does their post-match shows and all that kind of stuff, and we stop thinking about it, nobody is going to talk about this Leno slash Ceballos error. And they're definitely not going to talk about it as long as we've spoken about the Jaka error against Burnley. And the reason for that is we did not recover in that game. It's important for the team, as we're, as Drew said, if, as we're going over these speed bumps, to still galvanize and recover. And in games like this, even the games against Aston Villa, Wolves, we're still expected to win those games, even though we make mistakes. You know, so I think it's a collective issue, whereas maybe not so much um, individuals. Because I still look at players that miss chances, and I know this doesn't really have much to do with this particular game. But, you know, I challenge some some people to think about the times that we've missed chances that could have just papered over the cracks of us trying to learn a new system. It's not good for the mental of Jaka, Leno and players that we need right now to feel like the mistake that they made ruined everything when we're missing sitters on the other end. So I'm just saying that to say, like, this way of playing is not going anywhere. Some players are going to make it and some are not, you know, but ultimately as we're learning how to play this way, the players on the other end of the pitch also need to hold their weight. They did it today, 
but they also need to do it on a regular basis. You know, I think we talked about that in the Yama chat, didn't we, Luke? Or were you a part of that conversation? Yeah, no, I remember it. I remember it, yeah. I think it's it's because football's a fickle business, isn't it, is the thing. Is that repercussions kind of weigh on how big a mistake is. And um and like like you were saying, um Xhaka is torn apart for, in my opinion, a very bad mistake against Burnley, which ended up costing us potentially two points. But at the same time, in that game, we created like a multitude of chances that we should have put away. So like again, like that game should have been the similar situation to today. Like would Xhaka have been absolutely uh kind of like dug out if Saka puts away his chance and Pepe's chance isn't blocked off the line or we kind of get a penalty that I think we deserve to get, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the situations. Um, but I think going back to the Leno thing, I would assume that if Arteta didn't see Leno as the keeper for him, for at least the kind of the near future, then I'd imagine we would have kept Martinez because like Drew was saying, Martinez is kind of like the archetypal um, goalkeeper for the kind of thing that Arteta wants to do as well. I think the only reason he kept Leno is was he liked both keepers and and maybe there's a bit more sample size of Leno. So um, I don't think that Leno's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And I hope, I mean, it's it's not, I mean, like, Leno's had mistakes, but he hasn't had consistent mistakes up until very recently, I would say. So I, I'm still like fairly hopeful that he can kind of cut this, cut this out. But I think it's important now that not only Leno, but the rest of the team, we do kind of continue to be confident in this way of playing because at the end of the day, if, you know, in the North London derby, Leno gets the ball and he's kind of second guessing a bit and, if, okay, I'm just going to smash it. And he's smashing it up to, um, uh, to let's say, like Aubameyang that's going to go into like a, a one versus one with Dyer in the air, then the ball should come straight back at us anyway. And I think that's kind of the one of the main payoffs to playing up in the back is that you actually retain possession. You just have to be... I want to say clever, but I also want to say just not dumb. Because like the pass to Sabios was dumb. What Xhaka did on the ball, in my opinion, the way he just has to play. I mean, again, actually, I I, I kind of agree with Drew in the sense that there's not really any needs to play the ball to Xhaka in his own penalty box with his back to the other goal. But at the same time, when Jack gets the ball, the pass is on if he plays it quicker, and it's not. So you know, it's 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 kind of like one of those if the players can cut out because these aren't little mistakes. I say these are like. Like huge mistakes. If the players can cut this out, then I feel that gets me a bit more streamlined because we're creating more chances now. We're dominating games at better, we're playing in better areas. I just feel like we're architects of our own downfall so many times. And I just don't want to see us have to have to make up for mistakes in every game because every team makes mistakes. Like Liverpool conceded seven against Aston Villa with Van Dijk in the defence. Last season, Man City lost loads of games like compared to what they did this season and the season before. So Great teams of great players can go through spells and make mistakes, but I think we have to now really kind of hone in on it. And um, Arteta's got to kind of keep them confident, give them a bit of clarity, and hopefully we go into the next game and we don't see the same thing. Yeah, I think this kind of goes into another one of the questions. Um, James sent another question. James Housen um, was also on Yama. So thanks, James, if you're listening. Um, but he said, considering the many errors coming from Plank and back, do you think? These players aren't able to do so consistently. Thus, do we need to stop or limit who is asked to? And and I don't think you can because you can't play from the back only through certain players. Playing from the back is a it's a it's a team wide commitment on the pitch, tactically um, and technically as well. You can't just play from the back and only play through say Louise and Tierney, just as an example, um, or only through Thomas Partey. It doesn't work that way. Everybody has to be able to understand their roles to 
give the required support in, in, in certain zones, has to be comfortable with being the one to, to check closer to the keeper to be the one, first one to receive. You have to be, everybody has to be able to, to function that way, particularly the, the defenders and the midfielders as well. Sometimes even your 10, depending on if they might have to come, you know, in, into the half space between, you know, the uh, uh, the defensive third and the middle third. So, you know, you, you can't just limit it, right? So it's playing out of the back is a full commitment. Either you're, you're going to play from the back or you're not going to play out from, uh, from out of the back. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think that that can be really the um, the way forward. It's, you, you, you can't, like, cut off one foot but still hope your other foot is, is functioning at 100%. That's not possible for me. So, um I just wanted to dip into that question real fast. Um, I know there's another question that we could have um, gone over, but we can save that for later, actually. Uh, one from, from KG about signings, but that makes more sense to, to maybe close. I was actually that. going to that right now. So you want to say yeah, I yeah, was. Yeah, so um, KGFJ underscore, wow, that's horrible, Jess, um, asks, how many players do you think Arsenal need to sign before we're in a position to go into any game or cup competition and not worry about the opponents? To me, I'm looking at it, and if we had these exact same players and I didn't know anything about these individual errors, I would go into most games really confident. I don't think it's so much about the players that we need to bring in. I do think, obviously, we need to improve the squad. But this is a good team. It may not be where we want to be, but if you cut out some of the individual errors and the unfortunate you know, state of the team in that weird period where we didn't win any games in eight – this is an actual good team and the stats actually show that we've been improving. So to answer your question from my perspective, I don't think it's about the amount of players. I think it's about these players getting used to playing in the system and cutting out the individual errors and being more clinical. Now we won't really know until maybe the end of the season, if cutting out the individual errors and being more clinical is more of a personnel issue or, um, needing to get used to the system issue. But personally, I think with a couple of additions, this team is in and around the top four. But for me personally, it's not so much about bringing in like a whole new squad. It's about these players cutting out the individual errors and being more clinical. So go ahead. Yeah, I'd agree, to be honest. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, there are still improvements will be made. I think in terms of balance, I still think there are certain positions that that um, Arteta is going to want to add certain profiles to. But I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a similar mind. I think that most of these players are good enough. Um, uh, like most of these players, in my opinion, are potentially players that are good enough to get back to battling for the top four. But I just think um, it's a case of Arteta still trying stuff out. I think we're still kind of shaping the system. But like a lot of the time, I think that. I'm pretty happy in the sense that I feel like we've got kind of two different systems now that we can kind of work with. We've got kind of got the one where you've got um, Aubameyang playing centre forwards and Odegaard kind of is playing behind him and looking to kind of uh, drop him in with like neat little passes. Um, Saka on the right, who's been really good since moving into the right-hand side. And then you've kind of got either Willian or Smith-Rowe on the left, which are kind of dropping deeper to allow Aubameyang to kind of float into those kind of left kind of hand-side-ish areas that he kind of prefers to go into. So it doesn't kind of like prepare his movement. Then on the other side, Smith-Rowe can kind of come in at number 10 and Lacazette can play up front. They can play one-twos of each other and bounce the ball off of each other. Um, so I, I think that we have makings of of good football, but I just think it's, it's down to profiles. I think Arteta ideally wants to have maybe like 
these two systems, maybe even another system, so we can kind of go to different kind of plans in game. I still think um, right centre back is probably an area that, he's, that the club are probably looking at. Um, I'm not sure if Luis is going to, is going to be in next season, and if he is in next season, I doubt very much that he's going to be a starting player. Um, so we need to get a good right-footed centre back in that. I mean, admittedly, he has to have like a decent ex- like level of experience because Gabriel's going to be going into his second season in the Premier League. Um, so I don't see like the likes of Saliba coming straight back in, and or, or even like I think we've uh, spoken in the chat about Mavropanos as well, who's done really like well in Germany. I don't think those players are going to be in a position where they're going to come back and go straight into the eleven next to Gabriel. So it's a club looking for a right centre back. I think we'll probably want to be looking at someone who's kind of in their mid twenties, maybe. Um, still, obviously, give me question marks on Bellerin. Um, I think that if we can make two smart signings that gets us closer to where Arteta sees as a team in the summer, and that's kind of assuming that maybe we get Odegaard back on loan, um, uh, then I think that that could potentially kind of transform the team in the sense that it could, it could give us kind of a lot more variables, a lot more options to play. Um, so I'm of similar mind. I think that the team is good. It will be better when we've kind of found a bit more of a balance and a bit more consistency and stop <laughs> passing to players. They've got four players around them. But um, I think maybe like two signings and we can kind of really start looking like we're kind of getting to a good point of progress. For me, I, I think it's, uh, I think it depends on who you ask, which fan you asked it. And it depends on what their expectations are. I think a lot of fans still feel like we should be challenging through the league tomorrow and thus, you know, half these players in their estimation aren't good enough to go ahead and challenge the league. But I think for if you ask people who are slightly more rational, that they would say this side, if you look at our, our best 11 when it's fit and available, uh, and obviously football's not played on paper, but you could look at the, the ability we do have in our best 11, you would say that that team is more than good enough to finish in the top six. It should be finishing in the top six. So, uh, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I even tweeted, I was not worried about today. I thought we would go out and absolutely smash them, and it turns out we did. So I, I think that on its day, this team is very, very capable. I think the problem is that we only have our day once in every two matches or once in every three matches, depending on what time of the year it is. So, yeah, I just kind of feel like my my biggest question mark currently is and probably has been since the, the latter Venger days is, is – what Arsenal's going to turn up on any given weekend, on any given weekday. Um, consistency for me is, is the biggest question mark, and it has been for quite some time. So it's never that we don't have the players. We've always had the players, even in our, you know, again, when, when, it, when it was when it was Wenger, when Wenger was almost on the way out, we still had the players then, you know, and think about the amount of times we, we showed up to Champions League with, with Philip Senderoff and back <laughs> And, 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 and Pascal Sagan and those those kind of players, you know, all that matters was when it mattered, they consistently put performances in. So in periods when we didn't have as much talent in the 11, but we had the consistency, it's last time we've married the consistency and the talent level was the last time we won the league or the last time we were finishing in, in, in the top two and top three every season. So if we can get that back, like if, if this team that we had currently was consistent, we would probably be in the top four right now this season. And again, if you look at the data post-Christmas, that shows you post-Christmas, we've been more consistent than the, the first half of the season. And because we were more consistent overall, 
it showed roughly where we should be. And sometimes the table can be deceiving, but when you look at, but sometimes it also gives you kind of a blueprint on, on how things could be in the, in the best case scenario, right? And the best case scenario for us, the season probably could have been, we could have finished for fourth. Um, just all, all it takes is consistency, right? So um, I don't, I'm, I'm with you too. I, I don't think we need many players. Um, I, we didn't get a question about the right back scenario, but now I kind of feel like we did because I kind of almost want to talk about it a little bit, but. Yeah, go um, ahead. Just roll into, into that. Yeah. Somebody did. Yeah. It was a question from Paps, the physio and talked a little bit about Bellerin. So if you just want to. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I said right back. I meant right center back. I don't know why I said right back. Probably because I'm, I'm annoyed. Do, yeah, you whatever. do you need coffee? Just I don't. I, I don't need coffee. Um, actually, I kind of <laughs> do. I, I need like six more cups of coffee. Today. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have some coffee after this. Like, I don't care how late it is. Like, I need yeah. some. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. And, yeah. If you want to talk yeah, about right side of center back, that's fine. Yeah, I, I do. And I kind of feel like uh, Mavitas has been exceptionally good for, for Stuttgart since he's been there. Um, I, his fitness hasn't been great, but he's, he came off an injury and he got another one after trying to come back to fitness. But he's been very, very, very good. There's a reason why Mislintat wants him back on another loan next season. And if he does well again, they'll probably look to maybe want to buy him. And, and as much as I rate him in terms of the, the future he might be able to have, would he come into the team next season at Arsenal and be one of the top four center backs of the club? I don't think so. So in, in that sense, you know, if he, if he and again, I always try to, 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 to remind fans that you have to factor in what the player wants. Like it's all well and good what we might want or what Stuttgart might want. But if, if he wants to play first team minutes consistently now, then that means we're either going to have to sell him or loan him back again and might have to give Stuttgart the option to buy. Because if, if they still quite like him, they're, they're going to want to bring him in full time, right? He suits the profile of player that Miss Tess wants. He was a Miss Tap player when he was here in the first place. So he knew exactly what he was doing when he tried to bring him into the club in the first place. So, um, and again, as we've talked about, I've mentioned in previous pods and we've mentioned on this pod, there has to be some players in the team that we can look at and, and view them as a way to generate revenue. And if Maverick Panos is one of those players, I'm fine with that because we don't know how he's going to get on that this club, right? It's all well and good that he's performed at Stuttgart, but it doesn't mean he's going to perform at Arsenal. So, and again, we have to factor in what he wants. So, I, I do actually think Louise might be first choice still next season if he's still here because he works best with Gabrielle and Gabrielle really is the, is the first choice left center back. Um, I do think holding works better with Mari and there's nothing wrong with having partnerships in defense, right? You, in fact, you almost kind of want that and you don't want every rotation. And also particularly if we don't get Europe next season, then you can probably make the argument that it, if Gabrielle is the first choice left center back next year, and we still have Louise, if we have him, then he'd probably be starting regularly because they've been needing to rotate center backs so he'd not have Europe. So and, unless Gabriel and Holding form a better partnership or unless Saliba comes in and, and doesn't want to leave the club and completely dazzles you know, Arteta and management and really fights for his place and gets it, I think we're, I think we're going to be good at center back. I don't see us going to try to buy one unless something drastic happens. Like if we sell Mavropanos and we sell Saliba and we don't re-up Luis, then we're going to have to go for a right-sided center back. It wouldn't even be, do we want to? We'd have to, we'd have to go get one. So I think it's, it's, it's hard to, to say where we're at at, the, at that moment, but I, I do think that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly less critical of some of the players as a whole because collectively we, we have been better defensively and the data shows that. 
So I don't even know how much we need to upgrade at center back unless it's strictly for you want to bring in a player who, like Luke said, is maybe more seasoned a little bit because Gabriel is still quite young. Um, and we do have younger center backs still on the books. And because if, if you lose the lead, you lose that experience. And, and you're going to want to bring in a right side of center back who is, is confident at playing out of the back. And while holding is, for some reason, holding has not disappeared from the team. And I think it's just because maybe Arteta's playing as fresh as live in the week in, week out. And maybe he doesn't see holding as part of that right now. We don't know. But I don't know. I don't know what you guys feel like um, on that topic. But Yeah, just adding my little two cents here. I do think that... Um, I think David Luiz will be here next season, if I'm honest. Um, Arteta's already kind of hinted at the fact that he's he's kind of playing for an extension. Um, I don't think he'd be talking about it if it wasn't something that he was seriously considering. So, And I'm not completely against it. We just kind of know what that comes with. you know. But ultimately, if that's what Gabrielle needs to be successful, that's what I'm mostly concerned about. Because honestly, I think Gabrielle was really, really good today. And he showed, I think, some of the the more Mari people that there's something special about Gabrielle too. Not nothing to shade Marie, but I do think, like Drew already said, Gabrielle is the first choice. So the decisions that we make about partners and things like that are important um, in his development. And I think he plays really good with David Luiz. I think obviously because they, you know, are both Brazilian and they probably have some sort of camaraderie there that it really works. And, you know, in terms of Saliba and stuff like that, I mean, I think the ideal situation for me would be that he comes in, he wants to be a part of Arsenal football club and we have five decent center back options that would leave us with, you know, we have Luiz and Marie and holding and Saliba and Gabrielle were sorted and that's without having to go out into the market, which for me, I think is going to be, you know, we're going to have to really make sure that we are attacking positions that are going to make a real difference for us. And center back for me is just not one of those positions based on the people that we have. I think center midfield is where we need to, to focus and streamlining the center, um, the center forward position whether that's just promoting certain people and selling others or bringing somebody in, I don't think we're getting as much as we can from that position, but that's a completely different conversation. But I do want to bring in this question from Pabst the physio. He did ask if, um, if Bellerin continues this trajectory, Oh my gosh, you guys, I need coffee trajectory. Just stop what you're doing. Go get coffee. Luke and I will take it from him. <laughs> well, do you think he has any suitors? <laughs> um, and I'll just leave this for you guys because well, you obviously <laughs> I need coffee. Goodbye. I was going to say, you, you missed a chance to bring up the, the question from why football about, uh, when will Chaka get a rest? And that kind of goes into the question about midfield, but we can do both. In fact, I, yeah, I go ahead. While I'm getting my coffee, you guys knock that out. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll start with, with Bayron, but um, I think it's a weird one. I, I know there was some there was some chat about it in, in the Yama chat on, on Twitter, like just after post-match. Um, I think I think Ben mentioned it. I think he said, what do you mean trajectory? You, you know, Bayron's been pretty solid all season and, and i feel like and i've kind of alluded to it in the past i, j I just feel like the fans went from loving him as a player 
to 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 half the fan base willingly wanting wanting to pack his bags for him and drive him to the airport. And I kind of feel like the correlation was because post his injury, he's he's lost that 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 first stop. He's still actually quick. He's not slow. The issue is when you when you lose your first step and it takes you longer to get back up to that that, that high level of pace that you were able to achieve when you're a right back or a left back and you have duties for the forward, it, it makes it harder to track back in time. And I think that's where Baron struggles for me. But I don't think he he's not a bad player. And and today you you saw how I think I think he was one of our best players today. A lot of our dangerous moves came directly through him and, and the, the partnership he's been forming with Saka on that right hand side. Um, a, a lot of dangerous moves came came through directly through those who and, and directly through Baron. And and he also I think he completed he one he was one of the two players that we had to, to complete the most take on today on the ball. So it showed that he's actually able to, to go on and beat his man. And that's something that fans somehow forgot that he's able capable of doing and, and he is. And, but again for me this comes back to something we were just talking about before. It's it's consistency. Bayron has to be consistent. It's it, when he and, and Reese tweeted it and, and I retweeted it and I just hit my knee on my desk. Um when he is in, in, in top form, Bayern is still a very, very good right back. There's a reason why historically he's been linked with interest from clubs like Barca and PSG. It's because he is a very good right back, you know. But I think some fans, whether they have experience in the game or not, sometimes they don't understand ACL injuries are very tough to come back from. And sometimes you're not yourself between you know, up to two years after the injury. You can still have adverse effects, physical adverse effects to an ACL injury. Um, and Dr. Raj was talking about that. Um, I've seen him mention that multiple times on, on Twitter. I know I just had a, a podcast with him a little bit ago. I forget how many weeks back it was. Um, so you actually get a chance to listen to that podcast because he does give some insight. And, and there's a mental aspect about injuries as well. Players are, and I've experienced it, I um, shattered my metatarsal twice um, on my left foot. And I've never trusted my left foot the same since those injuries because I'm afraid I'm going to break it again. You know, I sometimes there have been moments where I, I I'd pull my foot out because I'm afraid of of of, of getting broken. So it, it's there's a mental component to the game, there's a mental component to dealing with injuries that is a real thing. And there's sometimes I feel like when you look at Bayer and you see that he's very hesitant, or that he um, he just he just his, his movements a little bit weird. It's because he's afraid to to do his ACL again. And and he also he himself spoke about the challenges about recovering from that kind of an injury. And sometimes ACL injuries, the player will never be the same. Um, so it's not about him being a poor option. I think he's still a very good right back. I just think fans have this notion that your 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 wingbacks have to be, you know, they have to have a 98 pace on FIFA. And I'm going to use that analogy because so many fans view players through through a gaming aspect rather than footballing aspect there's a historically there have been so many good left and right backs in football and they weren't brilliantly quick you don't have to be brilliantly pacey to be a good left back or a good right back you just need to be consistent so if Bayern for me can find the consistency again I'm not worried about him having suitors because I don't want to sell them yeah I'm worried about him being consistent so we can keep him you know and I think on, on if you compare the two in their best form Bayern is better than Cedric right and I'd rather not have to go and spend 50 million on a player to maybe upgrade on Bayern rather than you have a very good player in Bayern already. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but you know that's kind of where I stand with it. I think we have 
bigger issues this you know going to the summer than than, than heck the bear and I, if he wants to leave that's one thing and then we're faced with that question but if he doesn't want to leave i'm i'm certainly not going to be one to try to force him out so yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think um, it's not really a case of him needing to attract suitors. I think he already has suitors. I think there's a reason why PSG wanted him. Like as recently as the summer, I think there's a reason why Barcelona have been reported toward him for like last few years. These, these are like big clubs and um, they want him because, yeah, I mean, consistency is something that, that Bellerin has been up and down with. And I think you can contribute that partly to the same reason a lot of players being consistent. And that's kind of been the kind of the revolving door mentality that the club has kind of been in the last few seasons with like coaches coming in and out and board members coming in and out and the, the style of play kind of like changing and all that kind of stuff. And I think obviously you also have to look at Bellerin himself. I think um, at the ACL injury, like you were saying, he has lost a bit of pace, but he's, he's still quick. And it's not just the fact he's quick, it's the intelligence of his runs as well. Like he's commonly finding himself um, making like the underlapping run into the box with a position to cut it back, and it, although it doesn't always work out because obviously it's a hard, um, you know, it's hard to cut uh, the ball back into a, a penalty box full of like six, seven players and, and find someone else. But he's he's in that position because he makes clever runs, and it's the the fitness to make repeat runs as well. And like as good as we know Tierney uh, is, he doesn't find himself in those positions because it's not really something that's in his locker. Um, when Cedric plays, doesn't really find himself in those positions, and I think that. Uh, you're also right and you're saying you don't have to be the fastest player in the world to be a good wing back you've got players like Barcelona in some of their best years in recent memory played Sergio Roberto as a right back who's a player far slower than Bellerin arguably wasn't even a right back um, you've got Cesar as Pelicueta who's one of the most decorated players probably one of the best right backs in the Premier League over the last decade um, isn't a quick right back again pace wise nowhere near Bellerin like you've all got other players like like um in, in his kind of last good years at City, Paolo, uh, Pablo Zabaleta wasn't quick. Um, you don't need to be like a really fast player. I remember as Pitta playing left back from Reno's team. So now you've got a slow uh, wing back playing on his weak foot and still wins the Premier League. So I think that there isn't a list of attributes a position has to have. And like you don't have to look at right back and think, well, that player's got to be uh, like run like Usain Bolt and um, uh, and cross the ball like the best player in the world. Like there, there are different roles and profiles that work in different teams. And you see, as he's spoken about previously with Bellerin, um, they ask him to do other things. Like he's not always overlapping. He's dropping inside. He's come popping up in midfields. Um, he's probably a better player defensively than I think most people give him credit for. And whilst uh, Drew was talking about the kind of mental turmoil that comes with injuries, I think you also have to take into a affect the uh the mental turmoil that's come with the last few years of just being a player at Arsenal Football Club because I remember there have been games like in the last bit of Wenger years where we played badly I remember the game against Bournemouth where the players um were kind of booed off the pitch and and not many players really fronted up at those times but Bellerin always fronted up and I think that kind of says a lot about him mentally as a person um because it couldn't have been easy and a lot of players kind of shunned away from that Bellerin never did. And I think that's part of why he's now considered like kind of captain material. And while like I'd love to possibly even see him as captain in the future, it's like I agree that if he wants to leave, then I don't think we'd stand in his way because I think we can get a decent bit of money for him. Um but if he was to say, then I wouldn't be angry about that at all because I still think that he's a good right back that could potentially get a bit better when um uh, he really does get the time to get a bit of consistency in. Um I think that we do have to see improvements from him. And I think he has to kind of be, you know, he needs to look inwards and, and figure out what he needs to do to, to achieve that. But 
whenever I watch him play, I, I feel like I see things that it, like seems that feels like a portion, a portion of the fan base just either don't see or don't really want to see because they've already made up their minds about him. And in that sense, I feel really sorry for him if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's definitely something me and Drew have um, spoken about is the the to the extent that certain fans want to be right, you know, and so they turned a blind eye blind eye to the good things that players do. You know, for me, you know, after this game, I saw a lot of comments about Bellerin, and I was really trying to figure out why because although he didn't have a sparkling performance, he didn't really do much wrong either. And I think the the reason why some of the moves maybe on the right-hand side broke down was just because those players haven't played together that often. Sokka and Bellerin and Odegaard are not players that have played together consistently this season. So it's going to take time for them to get that same type of fluidity that sometimes our left-hand side has. So I'm not really, I don't really understand where the, and I'm not a, a big Bellerin fan just because, you know, I think, and I think ultimately like this is just kind of like a sidebar, but we all have our fantasy players. And then we have the players that actually play for Arsenal football club. And my fantasy right back is not Hector Bellerin, but that doesn't mean that then Hector Bellerin is just not a good player. I have my criticism about certain things that he does. Like sometimes I don't think he's great in the final third in terms of like final ball, but this is not a game to slander Bellerin about. And this season, he's had a little bit of a slump, like probably in the last couple games that he's played. But ultimately, there was a part in the season where he was our best player in the final third. He was our only creative player. And we forget about those things. If he leaves at the end of the season, that's cool. You know, hopefully we get somebody that's better than him and don't just replace him with any old buddy. You know, but again, I'm not really concerned about the back line. That's not really where my my concerns lie. And Bellerin, I think, just similarly to to Jaka, just just gets really really bad, you know, vibes from the fans. It can't be easy being Jaka and being Bellerin amongst these this fan base, and they're also used as a stick to beat Arteta with, you know. So it's just kind of confusing, you know. I don't really think he had a bad game, but you guys, I did get my coffee. So hopefully the quality level is going to go up um, from here on out. And I'm just in time for, I want to call this the finale because mostly because so many people sent in questions about this particular player, but just in general, let's talk about Martinelli. You know, it's, this is a player that continuously is brought up every single podcast that I do, every single show that I do, we're talking about Martinelli. And I think, we're just going to have to have a more in-depth conversation about why this player is not playing because I don't think it's because Arteta is evil. I don't think it's because Arteta doesn't rate him. I don't think it's because, you know, Arteta is trying to shoot himself in the foot and he doesn't know football and all this kind of stuff. Personally for me, and I'd love to get your guys' opinions on this, obviously, but personally for me, I just think Martinelli one is not fit. When you come back from an injury similar to the one that Marnelli has come back from, it can take you like almost a year to get back to where you were before you got the injury. And that's after you've actually come back. So not from the moment you got surgery or anything like that. And 
I just think Arteta, he may just be managing him because he knows how important he's going to be for the squad next season. Martinelli is not important for us as a squad member right now, in my opinion. I don't think it's if we don't play Martinelli, we don't win. Whereas it kind of was like that when Aubameyang wasn't there last season and Martinelli kind of had to pick up the slack, you know, when he got that red card and all that kind of stuff and the senior players just weren't available. That This is not the same situation. We're way past that now. And I think it's also about the tactics. You know, a lot of people really were like, okay, well, look at Martinelli's work rate, especially like in the United game where he was not great. And he worked back to stop, I think it was Rashford from scoring that goal with like a a goal-saving header. And we applauded him for that, but ultimately he had to do that because he was out of position. And I think that that's just the story of where Martinelli is right now, that this is the chapter that he's in, is that the tactics and the system for Arteta has matured. So Martinelli is going to also have to mature as a player to play in the system. And for Arteta, you have to be positionally aware and tactically astute. And Martin, those are things in Martinelli's game that need to improve. And I know he's a chaos merchant and he has all the energy in the world. He works really hard, but those qualities need to be harnessed within a system. And I think that's just where we are. I really don't think Arteta is trying to hurt Martinelli. If Arteta is a very smart man, he knows how important this player is going to be for this club in terms of if we ever wanted to sell him and in terms of the project in general. So I don't think he's actively shooting himself in the foot to make a point that this he doesn't like this player. But I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's like, I don't, I don't want to say tinfoil hat, but I do want to say tinfoil hat. I feel like a lot of fans would rather put on their tinfoil hat than be logical. And I think thus you have, you know, the birth of my Twitter header. And that's half the reason why it exists. So um i think for me i think i agree with both those things i, I do think he doesn't want to rush a player back because the kind of, the type of injury that he suffered is one that you can easily pick up again and then it, it can become cyclical and then before you know it you know you've, you've not gotten anywhere near where you should be because of it so i think there's that um and people have to remember that arteta isn't you know making blind decisions he's being advised by full physio departments about how to handle each player what if they're in the red zone or close to it or you know how things are coming back based off the if the physical data that they receive on every player on a daily basis but people forget that so he's going to try to make the best informed decisions possible based off of qualified advice from professionals so it's not just him using a gut feeling him saying you know or him and he might not always listen, but he's being advised at the very least. So I think you can put a little bit of faith in that. But I think for me, the bigger overarching thing is even when he is fully fit, I do think uh, when it comes to tactical maturity and when it comes to responsibility on the pitch, I think that is one of the big things because when you want to play expansive football, that's very reliant on positional awareness and understanding both when you're in possession, when you're without the ball, you need to be, that needs to be the, the thing about your game that is the least concerning between that and, and your technical ability, those two things. So I do think that that does play a part in it. Um, and for whatever it's worth, 
a lot of people rail on Lillian, but he is experienced. He, he does know where to position himself on the pitch, and he technically on the ball, he's pretty solid when he's playing well. So I feel like that might be why you're seeing him more and more now as maybe he's finding a bit of form. He's being turned to a bit more because of that. I think structure is very important when you want to play this type of system. So you need to utilize players that understand how important structure is. And you, you can look at another young player who's receiving reduced minutes this season and Christian Pulisic at Chelsea under a man in Thomas Tuchel, who is, is very expansive in this play as well. He's, he drills players on, again, positional understanding and awareness and, and the requirements needed for how he ultimately wants to play football moving forward. And Pulisic has not been playing on the Tuchel, a man who Pulisic got his, his, his break under, really. Um, you know, he came to Dortmund under Klopp, but he got his debut under Tuchel and 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 came onto the scene under Tuchel, and, and he's, he's still not utilizing it because there are probably better players that can play in that position to understand the, the, the overarching requirements of what's necessary. So, yeah, I, I, just, I just feel like I still think he has a bright future. I, I, I still don't know what trajectory we're going to put him on in terms of development, if he's going to remain on the left or if, he's going to, if we're going to try to find him as an in-house solution to the center forward question when Oba is done. I really don't know, obviously. Um, I still think there's a lot to like about him. I still think Arteta does rate him. Um, I just feel like those two predominant factors are going to be the reason why maybe where he's not just being rushed back in. And, and I agree with you. I think we have enough attacking options now when everybody is fit where we don't have to hinge our bets on him being free to perform and, and free to, to, to be utilized. Um, it might be different next season. Obviously, we don't know, but um, yeah, with just Europa League and and, and just um, and just the league now, we we have two or three players that can play on the left, even if you subtract him from the list of available players. So we we don't need him right now. So yeah, I think there's no reason to rush it. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, again, I don't use the words that you used in the tin full hat, but it just it does seem so apt. I think a lot of people just want there to be a more interesting reason why players don't get picked. And we've seen it in the past, just this season with like Saliba, people think there's kind of something there and Pepe, we think something there. And now kind of people talk about Martinelli. I think it's just a case of right now we're playing a system which is designed to get the best out of Aubameyang. And if you want to get the best out of Aubameyang, you're not going to put in a player that's, that's the whole strength is running in uh, into kind of channels from the left-hand side, because that is where Aubameyang is going to be floating from centre forwards. Um, I don't think that Aubameyang and Martinelli right now can really coexist in the, in this system together. That could change in the future, of course. Um, but I think it's, it's the same reason I've, I've, spoke, I've spoken to Drew about this before. The same reason I don't think Pepe is playing on the left is, is the fact that in my opinion, um, the, the player that's playing in that role, be it Willian or, or Smith Rowe, they're dropping very, very deep, um, practically in almost kind of like a left centre mids position at times. And um, and there's kind of a bit more to it than just playing as a winger. I think that they're trying to leave space for for Tini to get up to the left hand side, and they're trying to leave also space that um, that Aubameyang can float centrally and on the left hand side, so we can find a bit more space. And to do that, then it's kind of a very like almost shoehorned role that that left-sided player is, is kind of become. And it's like, like we spoke earlier on, it's down a lot of time, these down to partnerships. I think Odegaard and Aubameyang, potentially a good partnership. Smith-Rowe and Lacazette, potentially a good partnership. And, you know, like, you whisper it quietly because people are not hear it, but I think really and Tierney, 
seems like it could be a good partnership. But they played well together today. I think they played well together the last few games. Um, so I think in terms of if if he's going to play in this system, then I'd kind of be kind of piggybacking off what Drew just said. That I think that he probably suits more to play the centre forward role instead of Aubameyang than he would do playing the left-handed role instead of um, Rillian or Smith Rowe. And I think that's pretty much what it's down to because. I mean, like, if Arteta doesn't like the player, he's not going to rush him back from injury to play in the League Cup against Manchester City. And in those games he did play, he gave good showings for himself. I just think, you know, I mean, I think Drew mentioned him earlier. Um, free CB performance on Twitter did a really, really good rundown of, um, of like, Martinez's injury and, and why Arteta's managing him well. Um, he's getting a lot of promo on this podcast. Fair play to him. Um, but... You know, there's a lot of reason behind this is that he's a young player. Um, he's still got a lot to learn. I think he still has to develop physically. There's, it's been a very, like, kind of, um, uh, like, you have to kind of take into account that it wasn't too long ago that he was playing in, like, one of the lower divisions of Brazilian football. And now he's playing, like, for a Premier League club. So it's going to take time. He has to kind of, he's got to fill out his own body. He's got to kind of hone his own abilities. He's got to learn, you know, how to play at this level. And, as good as he is, I think he's a, a fantastic talent with a fantastic work ethic to be better. And you can see that every time he plays. I think he kind of gives me like real um, Alexis Sanchez vibes um, in a good way. Um, but it's going to take time for him. And, you know, there'll be times where hopefully he will get chances. I'd like to see him maybe, if possible, if we're kind of winning games comfortably, I'd like to see him come off the bench just to get a few minutes because as, as much as I can understand us... Uh, kind of not for him deep end and kind of letting him recover probably physically. I would like to see him, like if he's not playing for us, at least kind of get a few minutes for the under-23s or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it maybe it's the boring answer, but I just think right now isn't the time for Marcelli in the squad. Yeah, we have to remember that. Well, also, I think it's like exactly what you said, Luke, that he's like a almost like an Alexis type of player. I always say he's like a mix between Alexis and Suarez, like a little mesh of them two. Um, which is like the type of player that you want in your team. But ultimately, like for me, it's just we have a, a while in this project. The project just started. I think people forget that, that Arteta is only this is his first full season and he came in in a mess um, after Unai Emery left. So there's still a chance that these players, I mean, when we, we always compare ourselves to Klopp and, and Liverpool, which I can't stand. But even if you want to use that as a as an example, look at the team that he started with versus the team that he has now. There's a long way to go. And it just might be that there's this is just not the right time for players like Martinelli and even Pepe. I think Arteta likes Pepe. You know, I mean, they always say that he's the player that he pays the most attention to in practice. You know, I think he likes Pepe. But the way that the team is set up right now, and also, you know, with Martinelli too, is it's not really conducive for them to be successful with the types of players that we need to lean into because of the fact that they're more senior and the fact that they're on big contracts. You know, we have to make Willian and Aubameyang work. So it's kind of like what we do is revolvement around making them work and then the pieces that work with them. That may not be what people want to hear, but there's still time for Pepe and Martinelli to become big parts of this team. So I don't think we need to be so stressed out about it, especially if we win the games. You know, I just think it's another opportunity to beat Arteta over the head with a stick. 
you know, but let's say in a year or so, I think with, especially with Martinelli and Pepe, when a bombing leaves, if they're still at the team in this team, that's when the opportunities will really open up for them. This is just me future casting. But when I think about Pepe and Martinelli, I think them in, in this system is really halted by the type of striker that a bombing is and the types of spaces that he wants to be in. And the fact that Martinelli is never going to play over a bombing. And like you said, Luke, um, they can't really play together. And also Pepe is not going to play on the left-hand side when a bombing center forward, you know, because they like to float into the same space. And Aubameyang needs to have a more of a 10 type player in behind him, you know, on that left-hand side and Sokka's a shoe in for the right, you know, so it may just be not the right time right now, but let's not jump off of a cliff because they're not playing within the first year, you know, of this project. We have a long way to go. So let's just be patient. Yeah. I think those are interesting points. I think you kind of, Shuck something that maybe a lot of people haven't considered. And it's that if you if you look at you know the way Martinelli does play, because he wants to come central and he does want to get involved, he's not just a touchline winger. Um Pepe's the same way. Uh, and because we have I mean we're playing Odegaard as a 10, obviously, and, and you have Oba who when he drifts, he he drifts to the left and then things become clogged. I think you're looking at players like Martinelli and, and Pepe who who better suit a four through a real not traditional, but just a, a more dedicated 4-3-3 that plays just more direct quicker football. And you, you saw that from Pepe when he was at Lille, who do play a 4-3-3 and they do play very direct and they play at pace and they utilize space more than than one than just be in possession all the time. And I think because Martinelli is that type of, like we said, he is that type of almost uh, Alexis type player who just wants to pick up the ball and drive. He just wants to drive the defense. He wants to get into to spaces when he's on the ball, take his man on, he wants to get involved in the final third and, and have a look at goal. He's a he's a goal scoring type of player. He's not a creative winger. He's not a, a wide playmaker. He's not, you know, a touchline winger. Like like Clive likes to say, he's not going to you know, he's not going to try and get chalk on his boots the whole time. He's he wants to go and he wants to get involved. Um, and when you have a ten, um, who is going to float sometimes into your space, and when you have a center forward who is definitely going to float into your space for sure because he likes to come left things can get a little bit tricky. And then especially when you have a, a right-sided winger in Saka, who when he does come in, he's then occupying the, the, the center space. And then you have a, a right-back like Bayer, and who a lot of times can be used as an inverted wing-back instead of someone who's making overlapping runs. You're now talking about your clogging a little too much. So when you have someone like a Willian on that left-hand side, who's more of a creative playmaker, even when he plays wide, he can he can kind of slow up, play well on the ball, and look for the team to overlap as a way to stretch defenses out of their shape rather than him wanting to take the ball and, and cutting into the middle or, or having an underlapping one from Tierney, who the couple of goals he has scored for Arsenal, you've seen them come centrally, but that's few and far between. That's more of the exception to the rule. He'll, he'll do that at, at times, yeah, but most of the time he's trying to get further wide and, and, and give you a decent cutback or, or, or cross and deep. So um, I think one thing fans need to do a better job of is they need to give Arteta a little bit more credit in terms of you have to look at players and why they're playing and how they're playing and understand that maybe he's looking at it from a tactical standpoint. And I said that about William. I said, if William is starting today over Pepe, it's got to be a tactical reason. It can't just be because he thinks Pepe isn't good enough. Or it can't just be because he's showing William bias because we brought William in and now we have to play him. Like that might play a part of it. Sure. 
but I, people are thinking that he's selecting William out of stubbornness because he wants to be proven right that the deal was the right thing to do. And I, I think it's more of William makes better sense from, from balancing the tactics on the day. And teams that have better tactical balance are teams that go on and usually win more more, more games than they lose. So, And that's one of the things that we we had no balance at all under Emery. We struggled for balance in the final couple of years with Wenger and and when Arteta first came in, he couldn't worry about balancing the team because he was trying to worry about riding the ship and making sure we, we didn't sink in six seconds. So now that he's more comfortable and now the players are available and he's starting to get more players, and I think he's more worried about the balance. And that's something that you see at Man City more than any other club. They still rotate their front three for balance, even though they don't have to. They could just play you know, the same three front or forward three players every match and, and it'll probably be fine. Um, but they don't, Pep still rotates in any given day. You know, you, you'll you'll have Sterling as as the false nine with, with Foden on the left and, um, you know, the Myra's on the right. And then in the next match, you'll have a completely different front three. You'll see Bernardo pop up in the front three and, and Sterling back on the left and, and uh, Aguero at center forward or say Hughes or whatever it might be. So, that's not just for rotation. That's also for balance. Um, whatever he wants to achieve in his match plan that day, he does need that balance. Right? So I think we have to start putting more faith in Teta in that vein as well. And, and Jess, I know you have a question. So before you come to the screen, <laughs> please ask the question. So I just kind of wanted to, to round it off with a question that just popped into my brain. But kind of looking towards the next two games, kind of feeling like, you know, Arteta said before the game that there's still everything to play for. And really, in the league, we're not that far behind. I mean, I know that we're dropping points, but we're not that far behind. You know, I think we're like seven points off of the top four or something like that. And um, seeing that, you know, I, I would imagine that Spurs would be a little leggy because they also played in Europe. But we scored three away goals. You know, we should be relatively confident that we're going to go through. Um so I'm not as worried about the next Olympiacos game right at home. How would you guys, you know, attack the next two games, you know, knowing that, okay, well, we just have to kind of take care of business against Olympiacos. But, um, you know, we have the game against Spurs, which is North London Derby, you know, should we rotate, keep with the same-ish type of squad? How would you guys at attack the next two games? I think really the, the thing is that regardless of, of situations, when it comes to the North London derby, you have to um, play the strongest team you can. Uh, I think that it, it can't, it's almost like a prerequisite of any season is is that um, in these games, you have to put out the strongest team and give good account of yourself. Or um, you almost kind of like will lose a bit of the, the trust that Arteta is kind of like just about starting to build up with the fan base. But at the same time, like I think... With three away goals, we can afford to to rotate slightly in the next leg. I think like like Spell Nenny can come in in the next leg just to kind of maybe shore it up a little bit. I don't think I don't think we should go really defensive in the second leg, but we can put in maybe a few more runners because at the end of the day we're not really going to be under too much pressure to to break them down because it's going to have to be them that has to score three goals. So you know we're going to be able to pick them off on the counter as well, and we're going to be at home, so we have the advantage there. Um, I think in terms of the Spurs game, uh, I'd go with... I mean, like if they went with the same team as tonight, I, I completely understand that because um, I think consistency and continuity are quite important in football. And as long as these players are, are fit to play, um, I think that 
you know, when you're clicking and you and things come together and you're for the most part winning games, you want to kind of playing over three games doesn't seem as daunting to you physically because, um, uh, because um, uh, it's kind of it's flowing. And I think that, like as I said in in like the last few games, Aubameyang is set forwards. We're we're playing in better spaces. I think that it kind of like we can kind of look now to forward where we can create a bit more. Uh, chances where we kind of struggled to before. I think before we were very like overly reliant on playing someone like like set up front who you can bounce the ball off of. Um, whereas now we're kind of finding a way around that, and hopefully Aubameyang can reap the the benefit of that. Um, if we did change it, North London derby, you couldn't blame him um, too much as long as he still played a really strong team. Like if if he um, really thought that. Um, some playing like someone like Lacazette would work, then fair enough. Because I imagine then Obama would just kind of go over to the left hand side. But you know, I really think that keep the team as similar as you can, fitness depending. Um, and then really, if we win this game, then tails are up. We can go into Olympiacos, Olympiacos game. Maybe like you know, maybe Saka comes out for Pepe. Maybe um, Bellerin can drop out for Cedric. Maybe Eleni comes in. Um, uh, you know, like you can make a few changes, but I think right now all eyes on the Spurs game, all eyes on North London derby, and get out the strongest team you can. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly correct. Um, I, I went on uh, TGT uh, recently, and, and Tom and I mentioned it. I was, I think it was one of the user questions, but um, you know, I, I said I, I think Arteta will field the strongest eleven. In the first leg, for this exact reason, you know, when you score three away goals, um, even if Lindyakos pegged them back, you know, they, they could come in the, in the second leg and win two nil, and we'd still go through. So, barring a, a monumental collapse on our end, we're essentially we have almost have both feet into the quarterfinals now, right? And I think this is exactly what Atleta wanted to do because I feel like he's going to want to play his strongest eleven in the North London derby. And I, I think that's exactly how you handle it, even if. We had question marks in the second leg. You have to go out against, you know, your your biggest domestic rival with with the best team you possibly can, you know, and you have to go and, and get a performance there. Um, it would also do a, an absolute mountain of confidence for us moving forward. Not because I think we're going to have some magical run into the top four, but because you know you go out, you did a professional job overall, and you you, you had a good away performance against Sampdoria, and then off the back of that, if you can go. And, and and when the biggest domestic match you whenever on every calendar year, that gives you further confidence moving forward to take into the second leg for Olympiacos to set yourself up for the quarterfinals, and it also allows you to rotate. Like like you said, you, you might get to see Martinelli or Pepe. You might see Lacazette rotate, and you know you will see some changes. And that's exactly how it should be. And I think he handled that quite well, and that's again that's something you see other. Or experienced managers, managers do they they want to give their team the best possible chance to progress by going out and, and absolutely smashing it in the first leg? So it's almost beyond doubt. You know, I think he's I think he's done that, and thankfully we we scored some goals today. You know, if if today ended one one, I think it's a completely different question. You know, even if it ended two one, you know, because Olympiacos could you know put in a blinder on in the second leg, win two nil, no one expects it. And then all of a sudden we're out of the competition, but getting three away goals essentially dusted the whole thing. And I think that's exactly what we would have wanted to see. So now we can focus on, you know, big derby and and rotate and so that we keep all the players fresh for the for the quarterfinals whoever it's going to be against. So. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is really the 
the best outcome that I could have expected. I mean, obviously three, three nil would have been better, but the three away goals is what's what really matters because it gives us the flexibility to really just, first of all, it gives us momentum going into the North London Derby. And I don't care if we're down towards the bottom and they're about to win the league. We need to have a good showing against them. We need to, to win this game. You know, I think for a morale type of, of thing, confidence, you know, um, and for the fans, but also because there's still something to play for in the league. For me, it's about optics. It's about the difference between finishing at 10th and maybe finishing in seventh, eighth. Um, And I just think going into a run of games where Arteta said himself that we need four or five wins in a row, kind of starting off with Olympiacos, putting ourselves in a position of dominance in this tie and, and confidence, you know, and maybe being able to to beat Spurs in the next game will set a, set us up really, really well going into those next couple of games. So strongest lineup, you know, against Spurs. Um, ultimately, Arteta will probably look and see what they have and what we have and, and make maybe he'll make tweaks based on the opposition. But we're going to see, obviously, another strong lineup. Um, I would like to see a little maybe you know I don't even know if I'd like to see that much rotation I know we'll probably see Thomas Party um I liked what I saw from Arteta today in his management of Thomas Party and you know I think he is learning you know if he had stayed out there longer and and got a little knock and was out for the North London Derby think about what Arsenal Twitter would have been like but I mean I still saw that of course because Ceballos made the mistake Thomas Party being subbed out was Arteta's fault, which is crazy. But ultimately, we did the right thing. You know, if Ceballos doesn't make that mistake or Leno slash Ceballos doesn't make that mistake, we're looking at that completely different. And for me, all I see is that we managed one of our most important players before a really big game. So we're going to need him. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the exact same front four played because our, this is the front four that Arteta likes for the system. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we saw. But against Olympiacos in the second leg, I think it would be interesting to see some of the French players. Maybe a Martinelli does come in. You know, um, I think that'll be a good game for him. You know, and we just have to take care of business. But ultimately, getting the three away goals is all we could have really asked for. We took care of business, like, in a way that we don't really do. We didn't even play well, and we still got it done. So I think we can take that as some sort of you know, we are making progress, you know, but let's kind of end it there. I think that was a really good show. We covered so many different topics and I do want to thank every single one of you for, for sending in questions. Um, If we didn't like obviously answer your question, it was because we kind of felt like we answered it within our own answers. So questions and answers. So Um, we hope that we answered your questions to the best of our abilities and all that kind of stuff. And again, thank you guys so much for sending in the questions. We had so many, and of course I want to thank the lovely, smart, brilliant panel for today. Drew, thank you so much for being here. What's with the buttering? I saw what's happening here. What shoes about to drop? (laughs) I'm being so nice. I'm just being nice. Yeah, thanks for having us as always. <laughs> Luke, thank you so much for being here. I know it's kind of late-ish for you, but thank you so much for taking the time to be here. That is always a pleasure. I love doing it. 
<laughs> All right, you guys, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever audio platform that you're listening to it on so you never miss another show and rate the podcast and make sure you give it a five stars. Um, even if you think it's a two, give it a five because that's what we want, you know? So, um, but we really appreciate every single one of you for listening. And the next podcast will come out Monday morning after the North London Derby. And we have a really big announcement that we will review or, oh my gosh, you guys, I need to go. We have a really really big announcement that we will reveal on Monday. So make sure you're there and we'll talk to you guys then. Bye guys. Pires, fantastic! What a way to claim your hat trick! Pires picking out. Ramsey with the run from midfield. Abamian! Beautifully done! And here's a chance for Arsenal. by Dixon, finding Smith, for Thomas, charging through the midfield, Thomas, it's up for grabs now, Thomas, right at the end.